0: Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the NatWest Markets Brexit Call. I'm Ross Walker, Chief UK Economist, joined today by my colleague Paul Robson, Head of FX Strategy. Um, Just a a quick note by way of introduction, because this call is is open to uh, the widest range of our client base, we're not able, for regulatory reasons, to talk about specific trade ideas, but we can, of course, talk about broad market themes and moves. And of course, if you would like to follow up on any of uh any specifics on on trade deals do please get in touch afterwards so by way of introduction uh, clearly no deal risks are are rising um we put the probability of no deal at around 40% which compares to our view of a, a 20% risk of no deal at the beginning of this year and something closer to, to 30% in the spring Uh, just ahead of the the opportunity to extend the the transition period, which which obviously wasn't taken. Um, Clearly, a 40% type probability means that we don't have a a huge degree of of confidence uh, around the outcome here. The situation is clearly very fluid. But nonetheless, market participants, um, we think, will have to to form a, a view. And part of this call will be about how we... We rationalise our expectations. I'll cover that part of it, and then pass over to uh, to Paul Robson to talk about uh, how we expect markets to to respond. Um, ultimately, why do we expect a deal rather than no deal? Uh, our view is guided really less by day-to-day ultra-high-frequency developments and, and more about. Trying to take a step back and, and take a view about what fundamentally is, is in the interests of, of both sides. And, and, and that's what guides an expectation that a deal is still the most likely outcome, albeit a, a limited, bare bones free trade deal, largely confined to trade in goods, essentially removing tariffs, quotas, or preventing tariffs and quotas being imposed on, on UK uh, EU trade. Um, it's also therefore not a, a very ambitious deal. So from a, a ratification perspective, that should not throw up any any major difficulties. You might recall when the EU and Canada cobbled together their their trading agreement, um, the, uh, the Belgian regional parliament was a, a a block on on that process. So we don't anticipate those sort of legislative problems this time because we we don't expect this to be in the jargon a a mixed agreement. Um, On the EU side, ultimately, there is a a huge trade in goods surplus uh, to try to protect, to preserve um, over €100 billion a year and related to that, uh, intricate supply chains for major European companies. So ultimately, we think the EU has something to to play for here. And on the UK side, um, whilst most economists, ourselves included, think that Brexit will cause some damage, some disruption, over time, a no-deal Brexit could still cause additional unnecessary damage in the early part of of next year at a time when unemployment is is likely to be higher and rising. Um, Still, COVID-related difficulties, a very fragile recovery. So, um, in addition to those economic risks on the UK side, there is also a a political dimension, which is, is perhaps not fully appreciated by international investors, namely that uh, we think uh, a, a disruptive, economically damaging Brexit would be more likely to fuel demands for uh, a Scottish independence referendum, a second referendum on independence. We have Scottish Parliament elections uh, next May, and uh, uh, a sizable victory for the SNP would reinforce their mandate for that referendum. So the, the political pressure is is there as well as economic factors, which we think ultimately will drive the UK towards... Seeking a deal and making some required compromises to to achieve that, so ultimately our view of a deal is is grounded in this view that there is sufficient self interest on both sides to avoid the worst disruption relating to no deal, essentially having to administer a system of tariffs, more onerous border checks, bureaucracy paperwork, uh, and the knock on impact that that would have for business confidence, investment, hiring, uh, and so on. In terms of the the timings, um, this will obviously be key for uh, the market response. And we already have a bit more visibility, some some key dates uh, to the diary in, in the coming weeks and months. So the EU has said that it wants to see the UK's internal market bill revised and the the threat to override parts of the, the withdrawal agreement um, around Northern Irish uh, customs and state aid arrangements for those those clauses to be removed by the end of September. So that would be the most immediate pressure point in the UK legislative cycle. On this second reading vote expected tonight, we we don't expect a government defeat at this stage. Uh, but over the next couple of weeks, there will be a detailed and uh, lengthy committee stage of the bill, the internal market bill, so opportunities for uh, amendments there. And then, of course, the bill will go to the House of Lords where the government does not have a majority, where the Lords is not obviously constrained in terms of voting this down or seeking to amend this because the, government, uh, the government's election manifesto told us what a wonderful deal this was and how this would be implemented. So, you know, in some ways, although tonight's vote... In, in the Commons is getting a lot of attention, it's probably of most interest in terms of perhaps the number of conservative abstentions or the the, the signal that is conveyed in terms of conservative unease about this measure. Uh, we, we we think any actual amendments uh, or, or, or the bill being voted down, that, that will come over the next week or two. So there is still time for this approach to be to be revised. Um, the UK has put down its own markers. Boris Johnson suggested that uh, if there wasn't some meaningful progress by the next EU Council summit in mid October, the 15th to 16th of October, then the UK would uh, pick up its bat and ball and walk away. We're, we're sceptical about that. The, the hard legal deadline in this process is the 31st of December. So to get up and walk away in mid October doesn't feel particularly credible uh, as as a threat, but it is obviously a a a risk. Um previously Michel Barnier had suggested that the EU wanted an agreed treaty trade deal text by the end of October. Um, so again, October could be we could see increasing market volatility around these 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 key dates. Um, in reality, uh we think the process is going to run is going to run later, and if you work back from the the 31st of December uh, deadline, the end of the transition period, uh, the European Parliament is um, is scheduled to have a plenary session on the 14th to the 17th of December. That presumably would be the, the latest point at which the European Parliament could vote through, could ratify any trade deal, as it is required to do. And if that's the case, we 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 you know mid mid december for for ratification um it's possible that a final agreed text might not surface until late november so we we sort of really view november as the the key moment uh, as to whether there will or won't be a viable deal here uh, but october clearly you could see risks tensions rising fears of no deal escalating um so on in terms of the overall strategy approach, as I say, I mean our suggestion is that you know this issue clearly is not is not going to go away, and it is going to drive markets. We've seen in recent weeks uh, that with Brexit having been off the radar screen, positioning around this issue becomes quite light. Um, there's clearly various turns in the road ahead, and, and market moves. We think volatility will will pick up from here. So fundamentally, it's about trying to take a view on on what each side is 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 trying to achieve and would, would would regard as an acceptable outcome. And from a UK perspective, um we see this this latest threat to to breach aspects of the withdrawal agreement primarily as a a negotiating tactic, an attempt to put some pressure on on the EU to lessen some of the the stringency around some of the level playing field requirements, um, so around labour, environmental standards and so on. Admittedly, the state aid issue looks trickier, particularly the specifics around the Northern Irish Protocol and related to that, this this Article 10 issue whereby um, the, the, the Northern Ireland Protocol makes clear that any subsidies would not only be about those direct subsidies to, to Northern Irish businesses, but if there were linkages from mainland great british businesses that might have implications there are some you know there are some there's some tricky territory to 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 navigate um in in the months ahead but fundamentally we can see some scope for the eu to to lessen some of the stringency around level playing field requirements perhaps the the, the eventual trade treaty would have would begin with some high level principles each side um, pledging not to engage in social, environmental dumping, and so on, you would then have a uh, dispute resolution process, possibly with independent arbitration as a way of of concluding any any impasse. But it seems that there is a workable compromise there. It's it's whether there is the political will to to find that. Um, but obviously, in this process, the, the the most important aspect of this for market participants will be how markets respond to these developments. And with that, I'll pass over to Paul Robson, our Head of FX Strategy. Paul.
1: Good afternoon, um, everyone. Um, I think when it comes to the currency, I think we do have a a playbook. I think some of the sort of inputs into that playbook um, will be different this time than they have been over the last couple of years. But we've we've been at these sort of pinch points uh, a number of times. We can observe how Sterling reacted uh, in the past, and that will give us, I think, uh, a good idea of what we should expect um, heading into the end of the year, but also into to next year uh, as well, because I think um, Brexit is clearly going to echo um, far into the, um, the future. Um, I'm going to start just by um, pointing out some sort of high-level points and key statements um, drawing on what Ross has said there, um, because it is very easy uh, to um get lost um, when you look uh, at Brexit and the, the sort of implications for asset markets because there are so many moving parts and you know um, developments are changing uh, every day so the, the first point i just make is I, I think it is clear that sterling um or the marginal rise of the currency is brexit obviously there's some um, incredibly important economic themes currently going on in the UK, uh, recovery from COVID-19, the level of economic scarring, the sheer extent of the the decline in output that we've seen in the UK, um, it it dwarfs anything that um, people were uh, expecting in in a sort of um, a short period of time uh, from um, Brexit. But uh, just watching how sterling is trading around headlines, you know, Brexit is definitely back as the marginal uh, driver. Um, and then that's clearly just increasing risks of um, a no deal uh, Brexit. Uh, some of the surveys that um, I've seen, but um, sort of back up what uh, Ross has said that they're about uh, the rising probability of a no deal from thirty uh, percent uh, just in August um, up to forty percent um, currently, and that's obviously in line with what Ross has um, said. Um, but the baseline is still that a deal gets done sometime before. The end of the year, and we give that a a, a 60% uh, probability. So ultimately, any weakness that we see uh, um, in the currency short term uh, will ultimately uh, unwind. Uh, But it's really about the path to that uh, deal, and we do expect the the path to be extremely rocky. Um, And because we expect the deal to be um, coming at the end of the year, um, we still have a couple of uh, months, and, and as we get each day, as we get closer to the end of the year and that that deadline, uh, there is a risk that the the market assigns a higher uh, risk weighting to uh, a no deal Brexit, and you know sterling becomes more volatile, weaker until we actually get uh, clarity uh, on a deal. So, you know, sterling stays uh, weak uh, and volatile for at least a, a couple of months uh, into the end of the year. Um, and the final point I just want to stress is that while there is a likelihood that Sterling does better on the signing of the deal, as people uh, become more confident in the, the future the uncertainty is produced, um, the fundamental support for Sterling uh, does appear weak going into 2021. Now, that hasn't always been the case um, after you have these pinch points uh, in Brexit. But the economic scarring caused by uh, COVID-19, the, the twin deficit position uh, in the, the UK, the level of valuations for the, the currency all suggest that any improvement in certain sentiments on the signing of the deal might actually be uh, relatively uh, short-lived. So just um, just a few more details about how we're thinking about the you know, how Brexit feeds into the, the currency, and I guess the, the key question that people ask is: you know, if you do expect a deal at some point, why is sterling weakening out? Why don't people go from um, A to C instead of going from A to B to, to C? And of course, the, the answer to that question is that the probability of a deal is a long way from a hundred percent. You know, sixty percent chance of a deal, forty percent uh, chance of a no deal. Um, and the risks of, of what happens to the currency under those two uh, outcomes is, is, is sharply different. And financial markets take all known uh, information uh, and they spin it into one price. And here they've got, you know, two essentially um, mutually exclusive outcomes: deal, no deal. Uh, they have a probability. They have um, some idea about where the currency, or their expectation of where the currency might go. You add all that up together, and that gives you the prevailing market price. And at the moment, no deal risks perceived to have been rising, and sterling uh, has uh, been falling. Now, obviously, over time, it will become apparent whether you know a no deal was actually negative for the UK, um, whether a deal is um, uh, more positive. Uh, but certainly, when we when we survey the market and we ask people what they think, uh, they're very much behind the idea that a no-deal Brexit um, is uh, negative for the UK. And also a a very limited free trade agreement is locking in a lot of the losses that have been sustained since 2016. So some of the things that might be mentioned is just the disruption to growth. The economy might become slightly uh, less efficient. It might become a little bit more inflationary. Um, and it might ultimately lead uh, to a a widening current account deficit. Like I say, it's still a lot of uncertainty about the exact impact on the UK economy, but that that seems uh, what the market is uh, thinking about. So at some point, the probability of the various outcomes will go to one. So either we get a deal or we get a no deal. Um, If we get a, a no deal outcome... Um, judging by market surveys, we think that there's a you know there's a chance of a you know eight percent drop uh, in the currency at, at some point on a deal being signed. A modest recovery of around three three percent certainly um, that's consistent, as I say, with some of the surveys that we, we've seen. We don't think it's going to be evenly distributed between um, sterling euro and sterling dollar because we think the euro will be. Uh, impacted negatively uh, from a No Deal Brexit, and then similarly will find some support uh, from a deal. So just you know, putting ballpark numbers around this, you know, a No Deal Brexit potentially uh, sends sterling dollar down to 120, and obviously we have a 40% probability uh, of that. Uh, that's slightly higher than it might have been, say last year, but of course the dollar is just weaker against a broad range of currency. So we concentrate in the percentage change in the currency rather than um, absolute uh, level. And then just the the final point I wanted to make uh, before opening the call up for uh, questions um, is this idea that even when we get a deal, the outlook for the the UK uh, economy remains challenging. And, And here It's Ross's view about the, he didn't go into a lot of detail today, but in his economic forecast, uh, the idea that the UK has large twin deficits, so a large current account deficit and a very large government budget deficit. And you combine those two and it's about attracting enough foreign capital to offset the large current accounts. Uh, deficit, which would imply outflows from sterling uh, every day. And this is a function of the growth performance or perceived growth performance in the future of the UK uh, um, economy. And of course, the UK will have to be adjusting to Brexit in in coming years, Um, uncertainty for businesses and investment. We've got the economic scarring from COVID-19. This week's unemployment numbers will probably, unfortunately, highlight that. Um, A large fiscal deficit means that there's not a lot of room for the government to stimulate growth to attract uh, foreign capital and largely exhausted monetary policy. So the Bank of England um, has done a lot, will do some more, but ultimately there's only so much the Bank of England can do to drive growth. So, So this idea of the twin deficits weighing on the currency. We think it's very shrill of others to talk about, you know, the UK's sort of emerging market currency because of the twin deficit. It's more important than that. It's about um, where growth is going to come to fund the current account uh, deficit. So so to bring everything together, uh, we do expect Sterling to um, suffer... Um, further bouts of weakness into the end of the year, um, potential to be uh, very volatile. Um, On the signing of a deal, uh, some recovery, but into uh, 2021, uh, the currency, I think, will struggle uh, against other regions where growth is potentially stronger and attracts more capital, um, potentially from the US. And it may mean that sterling dollar uh, continues to drift higher But that won't be, we think, because Sterling uh, is doing better.